Good morning. So there are a lot of people gone on vacation today, and Pastor Rachel is one of those people. So I'll be preaching this morning, so sorry about that. <laughs> but, okay, so I wanted to start, thank you, Matt, with uh, just something to get us all hopefully um, laughing. It's good to laugh, right? So I wanted to show you a picture of our cat, which if you follow me on Facebook, you see her a lot, because um, she's about all I post about now. So this is, I thought there'd be more awe at that picture. Like, come on, that's stinking cute. Um, for the <laughs> okay, for those of you on uh, Facebook Live, Matt, as soon as he sits down, is gonna uh, upload this picture in the comments so you can say awe, hopefully louder than the people in here did. Um, so this is Marvel helping me prepare for the sermon today. So that's a commentary on the book of Joshua that she's curled up with. Um, and if you see, her tongue is kind of sticking out, super cute. Um, and it also scares me a little bit because it kind of looks like she's licking her lips, you know? And if we go to the next picture, you'll understand why that makes me nervous because that's what she does to a roll of paper towels. And she has done the same thing repeatedly to toilet paper rolls. And so we've had to make some adjustments in our home since getting her, <laughs> including hiding all of the paper. <laughs> so. Anyway, she did not destroy the commentary. It's fine. We can give it back to Pastor Rachel without any bite marks in it. So let's pray this morning before we dig into scripture. God, we thank you that you are here with us this morning and that we know that without a doubt. Um, because we are gathered here to glorify you. We're gathered here to learn from you. We're gathered here to grow closer to you. And so, God, right now, I just pray that um, anything that you send out of my mouth would be from you, um, and that it would be to glorify you and just to help us um, come closer to you, God. So we just ask that you would reveal your heart to us today um, and be with us through the rest of the service. Amen. So we're wrapping up, I think we have a week left after today, our series on Giants of the Faith from Hebrews chapter 11. And our story about a giant of faith today begins in a pretty familiar passage from the Old Testament, and it took place a long time ago. The men were dripping with sweat. They were dressed in full armor, and they were exhausted from days of marching. And to top it off, today literally called for seven times the amount of marching around and around the city of Jericho but it was worth it for the Israelite army. This was it, because any minute now they believed that they would see these walls crumble. See, they had just crossed the Jordan River from the wilderness where they had wandered for 40 years into this promised land maybe a week and a half ago, and they trusted Joshua, their leader and their military commander, and, and they also had faith that God would be with them. And just as they finished that seventh trip around the city walls, Joshua shouted to the men, reminding them that the Lord has given this land over to them. In other words, he was saying, don't be afraid because you will see victory in this battle because God's promised it. And you're going to see victory in a lot of battles that come after this too. Until this land of Canaan is yours. 
So the, the priests blew their trumpets as they had been commanded to do, and all the men yelled at the top of their lungs, and the walls collapsed. And for a moment, there were only clouds of dust and loud crashes all around them. The men wiped the dust from their eyes. They took one last look at the city, and then on command, they began marching confidently into battle. But just then, Joshua, the leader of these thousands of soldiers, found two men from among them all. He smiled when he saw them. You see, because just a few days ago, they had brought him news that only confirmed that Jericho and the land around it was as good as conquered for these Israelites. He motioned for them to come over to him. He had a special message that seemed strange. You'd think that Joshua would be consumed by what was going on around him. He, he would be filled with pride as his soldiers marched forward. You would think he'd be on the front lines marching in with them because this is what they had been promised. It's what they were looking ahead to, and it is literally history in the making. We're still talking about it today. But even in the midst of all of that excitement, <coughs> Joshua remembered something. And as he shouted to the two men above the noise of the battle, he didn't say much, but it involved the name of a poor Canaanite prostitute falling from his lips, Rahab. What he said to the two men would seem jarring to anyone else who overheard it on the battlefield, but not to these two men. They had a unique mission that day, unlike any other soldier. So they set off at once in the direction of her small house, located in the outskirts of the city, before anyone could destroy it or anyone inside. Would you stand today for the reading of God's word? From Hebrews chapter 11, verses 30 through 31. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. So, just to get us all caught up a little bit, last week we talked also about God's chosen people, the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, who's one of the first giants we talked about. So the Israelites were now in captivity in Egypt, and they had been for hundreds of years. And last week we heard about the courage of Moses' parents and the midwives to look into the brokenness around them and yet see hope in this baby boy. The boy was supposed to be killed on order of Pharaoh, along with every other baby boy Israelite that was born. But against all odds, this baby actually found protection in Pharaoh's own household and grew up as his daughter's child. His life, Moses' life, is a sweeping journey of being on mission for God, which culminates in a story most of us know well. The Israelite captives were freed from slavery after many conversations, signs from God, and events like the ten plagues that wrecked Egypt. So he let them go, but then Pharaoh quickly changed his mind. 
and he took off with his army to get the slaves back. The Israelites were caught between a vast sea in front of them and an army in hot pursuit behind them, and it seemed hopeless. Just then, God, through Moses, parted the waters so that the Israelites could cross on dry ground, surrounded by walls of water and sea creatures. And when they made it safely to the other side, the walls of water crashed back down, killing all of the Egyptians behind them. The people were freed, but they had so much still to learn and also to unlearn about this God who had rescued them, lies that they had grown up hearing about in Egypt, and God wanted to teach them who he really was. So they spent 40 years wandering in the desert, messing up a lot, being shown grace by God, receiving food from heaven, messing up a lot, being guided by God, and did I mention they messed up a lot? Moses also received the Ten Commandments during this time, and a ton of other things happened. It was a busy and long four decades, and now it was finally time to enter this promised land. Moses died before entering, but he confidently passed leadership on to his second in command, Joshua. And entering this land would require conquest and the defeat of those who currently lived there and who worshiped various other gods. So God gave them this command in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 20 that we'll have up on the screens there for you. In those towns that the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession, destroy every living thing. You must completely destroy the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, just as the Lord your God has commanded you. This will prevent the people of the land from teaching you to imitate their detestable customs in the worship of their gods which would cause you to sin deeply against the Lord your God. So their goal here was pretty clear. Destroy everything and everyone so that they would not sin against God like they had countless times in the past. Joshua was ready to carry this out with his army. So the first step, which was very symbolic, was to cross the Jordan River into this promised territory leaving behind the wilderness where they had wandered for so long. And once they crossed, Joshua secretly sent two spies with instructions to scout out the land, giving special attention to the city of Jericho. Now, how many of you, like me, really love the Lord of the Rings trilogy? That's it? Oh my gosh, I'm so disappointed. Have you seen it at least? That's actually worse if you've seen it and you don't like it. Oh, that breaks my heart. Okay, well then only like three people are going to understand what I say next, but that's fine. Um, when, I, when I read this scripture and I hear things like that, like you're going to go on this journey and you're going to spy out the land, I'm like, yeah, Lord of the Rings, I'm together with friends and we're going to go spy and we're going to hide from people and we're going to build friendships and we're going to be constantly in danger. And of course, like, I could probably do without, like, Gollum following me around or the giant spider in the third movie, which, spoiler if you haven't seen it, like, you know, I would leave those parts out maybe, but I'm just like, yeah, let's go on this epic journey. And then as I did research, I realized that really these spies traveled about two hours walking 
and then they ended up in a pretty unexpected place. And basically that place would provide all of the answers <coughs> that they needed to accomplish the mission that Joshua gave them. So this epic journey that I was ready for really is just about four hours round trip of walking with nothing intense happening on the walk there or the walk back. Kind of boring. So the place they found themselves in was the home of Rahab, which was at the very edge of the city of Jericho. And it was actually built into one of the defensive walls on the outside of the city. And scripture also tells us that Rahab was a prostitute. And so now we find ourselves in scripture in the book of Joshua chapter 2, if you have your Bibles and want to open them. And we're going to read through this together, starting in verse 2. Also, this um, sticky note has bite marks in it from marble, so there's that too. I didn't realize that until last night. <laughs> All right, here we go. Joshua 2, starting in verse 2. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went, but if you hurry, you can probably catch up to them. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. Now, I don't have children, I have a cat, but I would imagine this is one of those examples where like if your child is sort of telling you a white lie, but if they give this much detail, you're probably more inclined to believe them, right? Like her lying is pretty impressive here. She goes into detail. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left the gate of, of Jericho, it was shut. So let's pause here for a second. First of all, if you're distracted by this, I'll just get it out of the way now. Every time I hear king's men, I think of Humpty Dumpty. So if that's you too, that's fine. Just get it out. Um, so this talking about shutting the gate tells us a couple things. Um, the people in this city were really afraid. Um, they were afraid of the Israelites, and they were choosing to hunker down in their city and protect themselves. And they were literally drenched in fear. And we'll hear that in Rahab's words in just a minute. They certainly, certainly would have killed anyone suspected of helping the enemy like Rahab was doing here. So verse 8 says, Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. And I want to pause here again because... What she's about to say is actually one of the longest uninterrupted proclamations of any woman in all of scripture, and we need to listen up to her words. It's a proclamation, but it's also her way of explaining to the spies why she's risking her life for them. If someone risked their life for you, wouldn't you want to know why? That would eat away at you. So listen up closely to what Rahab says in these next few verses starting in verse 9. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in this land is living in terror, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. 
And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all of their families. Let's pause just one more time here. In this passage, Rahab is testifying a couple really bold and important things about God. She's saying, I know that God is giving you this land. There is no doubt in her mind. She says, when you take this land, not if. She also is testifying. Did you hear it? She said, this God is Lord of the heaven above and the earth below. He is the capital G God. Now, we have to keep in mind her context um, and the fact that she was constantly exposed every day to various gods other than this capital G God. Um, but so she may have seen, sh this, this declaration of hers might have been saying, above all of these gods is this God of heaven and of earth. But there's grace in that because God understands that's her context and that that's how she would see him in relation to the other gods. So even if that is true, the fact that she can make this proclamation is huge. And she talks about this God as being the God who is capable of parting the sea and conquering powerful and wicked people. So now we pick back up in verse 14 with the men's reply to her. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Listen to verse 12 one more time. She says, Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. This word for kindness, um, we'll have it up on the slide, it's hesed. And one of the scholars that I was reading defines it this way, kindness born of loyalty to a common cause. And the way that she's asking for this kind of kindness wrapped up in loyalty in a, in a similar direction, we see it in the scriptures. She's asking for protection for herself and her family and their lives. And here's something that I feel is important to clear up because it could be a stumbling block to some people as they're reading this passage. I really don't think that Rahab here is just trying to avoid death. I think when we read it on the surface, maybe we could kind of get that feeling. Oh, here's a chance for me to protect myself and my family. And she also didn't just show kindness so that she could get a favor from someone. Who knows people like that? Anybody? <laughs> We probably all have encountered someone like that at some point, and you know when it's happening. You know when you're being used in that way. She isn't known for her faith. Just because she was hospitable this one random time to these two random strangers so that she could gain something from it. If we walk away with that understanding of Rahab today, we are not doing her justice. 
she also wasn't planning to corrupt them like God had warned the Israelites about in that passage in Deuteronomy that we read. No, this common cause between Rahab and the spies that she talks about is an active trust and faith in the same God. They're both talking about the same God. And I really believe that she reveals in her actions the stirrings of her heart. Don't we all? Think about it. She's been hearing about what this Lord has done. My guess is if she's over 40 years old, she's been hearing about it her whole life. And no matter when she was born, if she was younger than 40. Because she specifically says, we know that you parted the seas. And that happened 40 years before this passage. She grew up hearing about this God and hearing how afraid everyone was. But unlike everyone else around her, who were hearing the same stories, but they were rejecting this God and they were living in fear, she wants to give her loyalty to God. She had a belief in God to confess boldly at the risk of her own life. And she was defying not only her neighbors in doing this, but the king of the city. So as we read, the men responded to her request by promising her safety. And here's another issue that I have. Here we go. Some scholars, as I was doing research, believe that the men in this passage are being unfaithful that they should not have promised life and safety to someone who wasn't an Israelite. Because remember God's command earlier? Kill everybody, wipe it out. They believe the spies were disobedient and needed to repent to the Lord. And honestly, this morning, (laughs) I want to tell you I hate that idea. (laughs) And here's why. I don't think it fits in the loving character of God. And one of the people that I read put it this way, and this will be up on the screen for you to read also. In response to this idea, they say, the spies did not violate God's command. They recognized within that command God's compassionate heart. They realized that the ban need not be enforced where there is a genuine conversion, such as the one they witnessed in Rahab. Basically, this is the way I like to put that. God doesn't stick to steadfast commands if it means ignoring and condemning someone with courageous and active faith. The spies didn't mess up their mission by making an oath with Rahab. How could they fail if they were being messengers of God's grace and mercy? Now, we aren't really told why Joshua sent the spies. And think about this for a minute. Joshua already knew, God had confirmed it over and over again to Moses and Joshua, you will conquer this land. So why did they need to send spies to confirm that? My theory, and I'll be clear, this is just my theory, (laughs) is that God was stirring something in Joshua and that God was orchestrating this whole encounter to reach this faithful woman and bring her into God's family. And so the night comes to an end, and the men sleep hidden on the roof, and Rahab goes to sleep in the house, and I like to think that as she fell asleep, she was smiling, filled with a godly peace that you can't describe. See, because she had finally declared out loud what she knew to be true. 
And she had a chance to demonstrate what she believed by hiding these men. She hoped to be among the Israelites soon. I'm going to read a passage from uh, Romans chapter 11 here in a minute. So if you've spent a lot of time in Paul's writings in the New Testament, you'll pick up on this theme that he talks about a lot, which is basically what it looks like to be a descendant of Abraham, to be a Jew, and then what it looks like to be a a Gentile. Um, And he has a lot of strong words to say about people who uh, aren't very welcoming of the other of those two groups. So I'm going to read from Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 17 through 20. Paul says this to the church, But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel, have been broken off. And you Gentiles, who were branches from a wild olive tree, have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You are just a branch, not the root. Well, you may say, these branches were broken off to make room for me. In other, wi- in other words, like, I'm hot stuff. Like, they did this, and now I'm in here. Paul says, yes, but remember, those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ. And you are there because you do believe. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. So in this passage and a lot of other passages like it, Paul is talking about the Jews not having a permanent place in this vine, in this root. Their ancestry doesn't guarantee that they'll be obedient to God. One of my favorite verses on this topic actually comes from the mouth of Jesus, and he's talking to some of the religious leaders, and he, he basically looks at them and says, uh, so you think you're like all that because you're a descendant of Abraham and you're a Jew? And he points down at the ground and he says, I can literally raise up children of Abraham from these stones. Basically, quit relying on your status. I care about obedience, not your status. No one is left out of God's kingdom because they aren't a descendant of Abraham. And guess what? Descendants of Abraham aren't guaranteed a spot on the vine either. Maybe this puts a little more in our context today. So you've been going to church your whole life? That's great. But that doesn't mean you're on the vine. That doesn't mean you're getting your life from God. Maybe this is your first time in church ever today and you decide that you want to be grafted in, that you want to be rooted in God. See, Rahab was, was not an Israelite. She was not one of Abraham's descendants. But she was invited. And so were the rest of the people of Jericho. But they chose unbelief. Rahab chose faith. So here's some good news today. God orchestrates a way for the marginalized to be grafted in and for the faithful to become part of his family. Whether they're a Jew or a Gentile or an Israelite or a Canaanite or rich or poor or a prostitute or a respected businesswoman, 
everyone is invited to start rooting their lives in God. Now, I think we need to pause here for a moment, also because I need water, and be really honest about something. Or I fear that we could leave here with a really narrow understanding of Rahab's story. I think that we, sometimes in the church, like to make these famous characters in the Bible a token of something. We, we reduce their story to a catchphrase. And maybe the reduced catchphrase story for Rahab would be, wow, God can love even a foreign prostitute? She can have that kind of faith? I guess no one is too far gone. And this is true, and it's powerful, and we talk about it all the time. Just a few months ago, we were, we were in Paul's writings, and we emphasized, like, wow, God can take someone who's murdering Christians, and now he's a, a devout follower of Christ. These things are true, and they're powerful. But there's also so much more going on in this story. See, because God saw Rahab's humanity and he did not just reduce her to the label prostitute. He saw that she was a Canaanite woman, a woman who had been shamed by her community, a woman who her and her family were probably indebted to some really powerful people in this city, and that's what led her to this line of work. God saw her as someone who loved her family and sought to protect them. He saw that she had been taking care of her household diligently, and he knows that she had been listening to stories about him. And that as she listened, God was stirring in her. And she wanted to find and know this God who parts the seas. She was a real person experiencing loneliness and judgment, but also curiosity and wonder about God. So let's not leave here today reducing her to a catchphrase. She is not just a giant of the faith because we like to be surprised and confused and inspired by a faithful prostitute. She is a giant of the faith because when she was surrounded by people cowering in fear, she was pondering the wonders of God and placing her loyalty in him. She chose obedience to the God she'd heard about. And the evidence of her obedience, faith in action, can be found hidden on her roof, sleeping soundly. So now the night is basically over, and early in the morning, before the sun had even appeared in the sky, the spies woke up. They solidified the oath that they had made with Rahab, and they escaped through a window in her house to hide for a few days in a place that Rahab recommended would be safe before they head back to camp. So when they returned to Joshua, they didn't report typical spy things, which, what do you think you would want to know? Like, what are their defenses like? Who are they, what's the word? Who are their allies? Um, what kind of uh, weapons do they have? Those sorts of things. They didn't say any of that. Here's what they, here's what they told Joshua. They simply said that the whole city was as good as taken because everyone was filled with fear and they were disheartened. <laughs> but then they paused and said, well, almost everyone. There was this one woman. And a few days later, the marching began. 
And this was the message that Joshua gave the men on the battlefield. He said, go. Go and bring Rahab and her family safely out of the city because she belongs with the people of God. So we find ourselves back where we started this morning and we ask again, why was Rahab remembered by Joshua as the Israelites were literally entering into Jericho to fight? Joshua and the spies, I mean, really, they could have forgotten about her if they wanted to. Because think about it, only the two men and Joshua knew what had happened. It was a secret mission. They came back and only told Joshua. They could have broken their oath to Rahab. They could have left her and her family to die. No one else would have known. So why? Why did Joshua remember her? I think Joshua remembered Rahab because God was reminding him why the Israelites were chosen in the first place by God. It was to partner with him to invite the world to find life in him. God was showing Joshua that faithfulness matters no matter who it's demonstrated by. And God was responding to Rahab's bold faith. So Joshua said, go. Go and bring Rahab and her family safely out of the city because God has seen her faithfulness even though she was surrounded by a disobedient people. So the men showed up at her door, and while the rest of the city was thick with chaos, <laughs> she just broke out into tears. She started hugging her family. She was thanking the God who parts the seas. She was thanking the men for coming back for her. And scripture tells us that she lived the rest of her life among the Israelite people, and she actually ended up in Jesus' genealogy. And also, multiple other authors in the New Testament honor her great faith. We have a lot to learn from Rahab. And I know this morning has been really story-based, and maybe we're wondering, well, what does this have to do with me? But I think sometimes we need to just sit with these giants and reflect on their faith and not try to wrap this up in some pretty bow. But I do want to leave us all with this thought today. Every week that we enter this place, every time we crack open a Bible, every time we listen to worship music, every time we see God moving in the world, we are hearing about the same promise-keeping God of heaven and earth that Rahab was learning about. So how are you and I going to respond? in wonder and faith like Rahab? Are we going to find life in the vine of God no matter what the people around you are doing? And if your answer is yes, I would say be steadfast because just like for Rahab, there will be times when it feels like the entire city is against you. And that's why things like community with the body of Christ is so important. But our closing good news for today is really that no matter what your answer to, the, to that question is, remember that our good God is always orchestrating a way for you and I to be grafted in, just like he did for Rahab. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Rahab's bold witness. God, we thank you that you sought her out even when she was surrounded by disobedience, you still saw her. You made a way to invite her into your family. 
And God, you were glorified in her faith, and no matter what her occupation was, and you pushed Joshua to remember her. We praise you that we, like Rahab, are invited to be grafting in whether we are descendants of Abraham or not. God, we know that you desire obedience and don't care about our status. May we be an obedient people, brave enough to speak against the voices around us and to risk our lives for your mission. We love you, Lord. Amen. Would you stand and receive the benediction this morning? Go from this place with faith like Rahab's and in obedience to the God who sees and remembers us in even the most unlikely places.